Um, hey, can you put up the slide? I didn't, I didn't talk to you about this. Can you put up that slide of Hazel and Isai again? Um, can we see that? Maybe on the back. I don't know where you're going to put it. Yeah. So isn't that, isn't that great? Oh, it's so good. This is one of those I choose you moments. You know that? Isn't that good? When he's like sitting there and he's like, you know, and she's like, yeah. And um, I asked him before, I asked him before, I was like, is she going to say yes? And he's like, Yeah. And I, it's like he hadn't thought that maybe she wouldn't for a second. And I was like, oh, she's going to say yes. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I'd be asking her. Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, she's going to say, yeah, no, I think she's going to say yes. Like he had to talk himself down um, a little bit, which is so cool. Just um, super, we're just super excited for them. Um, we think this is really cool. We think this is really cool. And this kind of leads us into the, to the sermon. I titled the sermon. I never do that. I titled the sermon today. Today's sermon is called The Spectacular and the Scary. We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17. So just five verses today. And we're talking about um, the spectacular and the scary. And it's always wonderful to be chosen. I mean, most of the time, it's almost always one. Well, it really depends on what you're being chosen for, that being chosen is great. But by and large, it's great to be chosen. Um, I remember being you know, in high school and having banquets, you know, because we didn't go to real schools. Um, we went to those pretend schools. And um, so we had banquets, which were like dances, but not nearly as fun. And the food was horrible. So it was a great experience for everyone. And I remember, you know, having to ask and, and oh, that was so nerve wracking. And then I remember we had a Sadie Hawkins one. And that was worse because the girls were supposed to ask us. And we were just, you know, Waiting to be chosen is horrible. And like when you're standing there and, and a girl's walking up and you're like, yeah, there's the one, like I'm going to be chosen. And she talks to the guy next to you and you're like, oh, I'm just now embarrassed for all of us here. Let me move out of the way. Like it's, it's horrible not to be chosen. Um, in, this, in these texts, we're going we're gonna to hear about choosing, which is spectacular. And we're also going to hear about suffering, which is scary. So let's start. Romans 8, 12. Um, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You know that we've been talking about, you know, Paul fighting with the sinful nature as it was earlier on in chapter 7 and in chapter 8. He brings in the Holy Spirit into the conversation, which is great. And he talks about the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to live. And then I love this phrase because it's really kind of a glass half full kind of statement, right? Therefore, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. This, is sa- this sounds different, doesn't it? It sounds different from when someone says, don't sin anymore, to, hey, you don't have to sin anymore. That's different, isn't it? I think it feels there's like a qualitative difference. This is a glass is half full, not don't sin. Like, you don't have to. It's good. Like, we understand that your sinful nature is there, but you can ignore that guy or girl. I don't know. You can ignore them. You don't have to, like, worry. Let's call it a non-gender specific sinful nature. We'll just say it. We'll just ignore it. We don't have to, we don't have to pay attention to it anymore because we don't have to do what it urges us to do. It can keep talking, but you don't have to sin anymore. It's not that you won't sin or you can't sin. It is that you don't have to. Now you can choose a different way. It's, you can choose a different way because, you know, you're not bound by it. The consequences of doing it, Romans 8, 13 tells us, is that, um, that for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. These are the consequences, right? Live by your sinful nature, you die. But live by the law and the power, by the way, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will live. 
which is really good, right? You know, you've got that power. And, and even though we know like there's times that, you know, you'll trip up, the times that you'll fall. Um, did, were any of you fans of Warren Miller ski movies? Were any of you like fans of that? So growing up, I don't know why, growing up, for some reason, God ordained Warren Miller ski movies that Avenus could watch them institutionally. Right? For some reason, like we can't watch anything else. Even like the sound of music is a little dicey. Let's be careful. <laughs> which, which, why? Why was that scary? Um, we're a conservative group of people, right? But for some reason, Warren Miller was like blessed, ordained by God. I don't know how it happened, but we, and, and we would have a big Warren Miller ski movie night at La Sierra. Loma Linda would do one too in the old Gentry gym. And Loma Linda, Warren Miller would show up. Like, I don't know how they did that. Because the La Sierra, like, no one's going to La Sierra. Like, sometimes we didn't even want to go to La Sierra. But, um, yeah, and I love I, I loved those ski movies. I think they're still making them. He died a few years back, um, which is a shame. He made them for 30 years, something ridiculous like that. But there was always that, that like, two to four minute section of people falling off the chairlift. Do you remember that? Just, like, one person after another getting pummeled, getting pummeled. But I noticed something about that. You would be okay even if you fell, if you kept moving forward. It was when you stopped that the chairlift would like just about take your head off. And there was always one or two of those and we'd laugh because we're horrible people. Because we think it's funny when somebody gets hurt. I think in some ways, um, this, that may have been a horrible illustration, but in some ways, this is what life is like, right? You are no longer bound. So if you fall, fall forward. Like, keep going, because there's somebody who's running out to help you up. Don't let, the, don't let the chairlift hit you in the back of the head. You don't have to sin anymore. We understand you'll fall, but keep going. We'll get you to the slopes. We'll get there. And I think that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Romans 8, 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, this is an introduction of a really nice kind of language. It's an adoption language. It's family language. Some of you may have been adopted, so these words mean just a great deal. Some of you are thinking about adopting, and those words are powerful to you. These words were powerful to them as well, because in ancient Roman society, it was not unheard of for, especially an aristocratic family, to adopt someone to be their child, and usually their son, but um, oftentimes, you know, their child. And once they did that, that child would get all the inheritance that was due a child. Like do an heir, if you will. Chosen, man. And, and, and being adopted is different from being chosen for a team. And we all like being chosen for a team when we were little, but being adopted is different. It's lifelong. Being adopted is something like you don't take back. This is it. There's a lifelong commitment. By the way, the same thing goes with those of us who are in community together. It is a lifelong commitment to grow together in Christ. It's not just a one-off, like, oh, I go to church with these people, but I, you know, I don't really know them, which is unfortunately happens too often. And maybe that's just kind of the consumer nature of church and how it's become in some respects. But really, I think the Christian community was not called to be this consumer-driven thing. It was called to be real people with real commitment to one another. I think that's what we were called to. And, and we adopt one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in some respects. And so it it makes sense. So, so let's make that real practical. If you've been coming here for a long time and you don't know anybody, you've got two things you can do. One, you can blame everybody else, which some of you do. Yeah, I guess not a very nice church. No one talks to me. Sometimes you have a face like this. When you walk in, so people are like, well, they haven't had their coffee yet. Like, let's, 
Let's let them run through the line and then we'll have a conversation. And then church starts and we don't get to do it. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing you can do is, is change your countenance and you be the one who says, hi, I'm so-and-so. Like you do that, all of a sudden you're taking responsibility for the relationships that you have in your life in the church with everybody else, right? You can't wait for somebody else to do it because maybe, maybe someone's not gonna choose you because we're human beings and we're, we've got flat spots, right? We miss stuff and that's okay. So if you feel like you're being missed, make sure you don't miss anyone else. That's the way you remedy that, right? Make the table that you wanna sit in. Make that through the community. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received, and we're gonna, we're gonna just settle in on this text for a bit. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. And listen, there's so much going on in this paragraph, we're gonna break it down. The first thing we gotta deal with is this idea of fear, right? And, and we all know people who live in fear. In fact, when I used to play music with, um, with, with my brothers in Big Face Grace, don't look it up on YouTube ever. Um, when, and I'm serious, like, don't do it. It's not good. You will come back next week like, I don't wanna hear what you have to say. Um, so, so Michael, who was our guitar player and planted this church actually, one of those who planted this church, he, um, he was afraid of flying. Sam Lenore, who you know, he's come and preached here. He is afraid of flying. They deal with it very differently. One deals with it very quietly. This is Sam, very introspectively, very tensely, holding onto the seats, quietly looking forward. I'm sure he's praying through the whole thing. Michael, on the other hand, decides he is going to process out loud. So um, we learned this pretty early on, and so we would always make sure they sat together on a plane <laughs> because it was fun. Um, and so like they'd sit down, and the first thing Michael would do, he always looked at the little badge and figured out how old the plane was, and he'd be like, you know, this plane's 35 years old. So. Be like, listen, a plane that's been in the air for 35 years, I don't even know if they can get parts for this plane anymore. And about three sentences in, Sam would start going, no, no, Michael, no, no, please, no, no. And that was like fuel to the fire. And Michael would just keep talking and we would laugh and laugh because we're horrible people. Um, but but um, for me, I'm not really, I'm not, I shouldn't say I'm not afraid of flying. I'm afraid of dying. And sometimes that happens when you fly. Um, and I understand that. But, but what I've learned, because there's not really anything you can do about it. I mean, you can like, you can like be looking at that pilot. You know, I do, I will say this. When I'm in the terminal, I'm looking around at everyone who's a pilot, seeing what they're eating and drinking. Because if I see a guy who's like really enjoying a burger and a beer and he comes on the plane, I'm like, oh. Are you just, you just going somewhere or are you flying it? Because I saw what you, like even if they just eat too heavily, I don't want them to be sleepy. I want my pilots hungry. I want to get on a plane like, yeah, let's get there. Let's go. That's what I want my pilots to be. But, um, but what I do, I just release it, right? I sit down and I pray for the pilot. I pray for the, um, the people around. I pray for, all, pray for all the empty seats that they may remain empty. Um, I, do, I do that, especially on Southwest. I'm like, Lord, ordain these seats to be. And if I really want them to be empty, I will say it out loud. Lord, sit next to that guy. Stay away from him. Uh, 
Are you like me? Like you check in and if you get that C number, like that C group, you're like, no. Cause you know, you're going to ruin someone's day when walking down. There's that middle seat. Everybody's up, you know, and you're walking down and you're like, and you, like people will look at you and be like, like not, they don't want to make eye contact. Cause you make eye contact. I'm like, you want me, you chose me. Is there someone there? There is now. Let me guess. Like, listen, you know, they say there's always one crazy person on a Greyhound bus, right? I've learned you just make sure you're it, right? If you're the crazy person, you're good. You know, if there's someone worse than you, then you're in trouble. I don't remember what I was talking about. Um, Fear. So let's talk about fear for a moment. So what I do, I really do. I just like, I pray for, I pray for the plane, pray for, pray for the pilots, pray for my family, release it, send a text to my family. Like, I love you. I, I don't say, I hope this is not the last time you hear that. I don't do that because that raises the stress level on everyone. I just say, Hey, I love you guys. Um, but what Paul's saying here is that there's no place for fear. Like you don't, you are not bound to it, a slave to fear. There's no fear in your life anymore because you have God and God can overcome all fear for sure. And I mean, he, he made it, he says, listen, it's not, just, it's not just overcoming fear, like it's overcoming your slavery to fear, not to be bound anymore, not to be a slave anymore to fear. And we all know somebody who lives their lives in great fear right? Pastoral ministry is a funny thing because you all have a different metric on if I'm a good pastor or not. Some people will come out of this sermon and be like, oh man, he's so great. What a powerful sermon. Some of you will come out like, I don't even know what he was talking about. He was telling too many jokes. I didn't really get it. He kept talking about flying. Like every, every one of you is going to evaluate me on a different system. In pastoral ministry, there's actually a great deal of fear. I want you to know that about your pastors. There's often a great deal of fear that, that we're doing something wrong, that we're offending somebody. Will this, will, will this illustration be good enough? Will it not be good enough? Enough, will it bless somebody? And I've known pastors who work in such a great amount of fear that they actually are paralyzed. They can't make decisions. They are a slave to fear. And if we take this chapter in Romans seriously, we've got to know whether you're in pastoral ministry, whether you're just whatever it is you do, that like there's no place for fear in your lives because God did not call us to lead little fearful lives. That is not what God wants for us. It's not what he wants for you. It's not what he wants for me. He wants a life that is spectacular. He wants a life that is overwhelming. He wants a life that is inspirational and aspirational. He wants you to live a life that you never could have dreamed of. A life that blesses others in ways that you didn't know you could bless others. A life that, that, that grants you so much capacity that, that you are able to bless whole groups of people. That, that life is just overwhelming. It's an adventure. It is not a life of fear. You know, when my dad got diagnosed, I sat down with him and I was like, dad, what do you want to do? Like, you've got limited time now. Like, what do you want to do? And he was like, nothing. And I thought, that's horrible. And he's like, no, I've done it. Like, I've done, like the bucket's empty. That lit, like I've checked it all off. I'm good. I've done everything that I wanted to do. It kind of, like it kind of offended me at first. And then I began to realize like, what he's saying is pretty deep. He was able, because he wasn't afraid, he was able to do things that people said you couldn't do. He was able to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ in ways that changed our denomination. 
you learned more about the grace of God because of the study that my dad did and was implemented in your schools if you went to Avenue schools. He was able to lead a big adventurous life traveling all over the world, speaking all over to people because he was not a slave to his fear. When someone said, you can't do it, he said, watch me because I'm not gonna do it. God's gonna do it. That's the kind of life we need to be leading because that's the kind of life that is a witness to the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in this world. And, and as we do this, as we cry out, Abba, Father, because we have accepted Jesus as Lord, which he says later on in Romans 10, 9, when we cry out, Abba, Father, we are showing the world that we are not content to lead a life of fear. We are, are only going to lead a life that is full of adventure, a life that is overwhelming. We are going to live life and life abundantly. John 10, 10, life to the fullest. You want to live, live a fearful life? Because if you do, you can't claim Christ as your Lord because he does not give you that spirit of fear. He does not give you the opportunity to live a tiny little fearful life. So stop it. Because we all have fear that we fight with. I understand that. But you're going to have to give it away. And if you got to talk to the person next to you and freak them out, go ahead. If you're the quiet one who just holds on to the side to deal with your fear, let that happen. If you're one who just needs to release it, let it happen. Because God is not going to let you lead a little. And I love the way the Message Bible says it. This is the way the Message Bible says it. It says, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. That is not what you've been given. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next? What do we do next? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Romans 8, 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. This collaboration is spectacular. Of course, you're not gonna live an adventurous life of your own, but you're not in charge of your life. That adventurous life is waiting for you because God has already ordained it and planned it and he's willing to live it along with you. But listen, you've got to understand this. We should revel in this chosenness that God has given us and in this life that God has given us. Because, you see, you were not chosen because you showed up here. You showed up because you were chosen. Right? It's like jury duty. Now stay with me. I understand, right? But stay with me. All right? Nobody shows up to jury duty like, I'm here. They're like, what? Why? You're not on our list. I just really like to serve. No, we're good, right? We show up in jury duty because we've been chosen. And you, I understand how it goes. Like you get the card and you're like, no. And then you think, I do want to do my civic duty, just not then. And honestly, not ever when it comes, there's always something else going on. But we are, you know, we're, we're supposed to do it. You are not chosen because you showed up. You showed up because you were chosen. We need to stand in awe of the God who called us and chose us. Your faith was not the basis of God's choosing you. You understand that? Your faith was not the basis of God's choosing you, but the result of God's choosing you. And I want you to hear that. Therefore, God's grace is the catalyst of your choosing. You did not choose God. God chose you. And this reminds us of what happened in Israel, right? Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says this, For you are a holy people. 
You belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his special treasure. And he continues on. In the next verse, in chapter 7, it says, The Lord did not set his heart on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, and listen to this, rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. Why were you chosen? Because the Lord loves you. And he was keeping an oath he had sworn to your ancestors. This is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and from your fear and, and from your insecurity and from your unwillingness to live a great life because you are too afraid of who you've been before. You see, the choosing is always preemptive. God always chooses you first before you choose him. And it's because he simply loves you. It is simply that the Lord loves you. It's pretty simple and it's pretty spectacular. And remember your faith, listen, it's just a witness to God choosing you. That's what it is. Because your being chosen is designed to be expressed through humility. Yeah, it's not, it's not look at my faith. Look at what I do. Look at what I believe. It's not that. It's God chose you and your faith is the result of that. It's like, it's like, did you ever choose music? Did you choose the kind of music you like? Did you sit down one day when you were 11 years old and listen to all the different types of music and go like, oh, you know, it's, it's country music. That's me. That's the one that expresses me. Or it's, you know, it's early 1980s ska music from Orange County. I'm very specific now. Um, like, <laughs> You never did that. You, you heard it and, and it was like it already chose you, right? And it's so funny because we become so arrogant in our taste. Have you noticed that? We do. We become so arrogant in our taste. You say you're going to go see some, some concert and your friends are like, why would you go see that? They're too popular because we all like to like the things that nobody likes. And then we're mad when everybody likes them, which is not really fair, Right? But we take such pride in the fact that we chose this thing. We can't do that in our Christian walk. There's no pride to it. It's humility. And by the way, you know, later on in 1 Peter, we use the term like you've been chosen to be a chosen race. And we heard that again in Deuteronomy. But being a chosen race means there's an end to exclusivity within Christianity. And really, there's an end to exclusivity. Right? You being chosen is not something of your own. It's an acceptance of what God has given you. And by the way, look around you. This is one of the things I love about Crosswalk. Like, it is not a white church. It's not a black church. It's not an Asian church. It is a, a church that reflects the new DNA that Jesus Christ has given us. Right? There's no prevailing culture but the Jesus culture. Right? That's, that's a powerful statement, friends. That's a powerful statement that we can come together in unity because there's one Christ. There's one God, there's one baptism, there's one body, and that's all of us together. And we are affirmed as God's children by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen, that's huge, right? Transformation, that affirms the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We affirm God, that we are God's children by what 
the Holy Spirit does. And listen, sometimes that work that the Holy Spirit does is violent and it's, trans, it's a transformation that people see from one day to the next. But do not diminish the cellular work that God does through his Holy Spirit in your life. That long, long change and transformation that happens uh, uh, infinitesimally, a little bit at a time, a millimeter at a time. I tell this to my staff all the time. We do ministry by millimeters. And sometimes God jumps miles. But we, the, the transformation millimeter by millimeter is not less spectacular than the great transformation that God does in some people's lives. So don't be saddened by the fact that all the change hasn't happened today. It may take a while because the Holy Spirit's doing a deep work within you or you're just super stubborn. And that's true too. Like, let's acknowledge that. Sometimes that's true too. And listen, all of this, this is spectacular. This is spectacular, but there's one other part. There's the scary, and I gotta rush through this part, I apologize, but there's the scary too, right? Romans 8, 17 says this. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Come on. With Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That's amazing. But then there's the scary part. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Right? And that last part is scary because we are called into this life. We're also called into the suffering that goes along with this life, which is what? So let's ask the question real quickly. How did Jesus suffer? Jesus suffered physically. We know that. We understand that he suffered physically. We saw it on the cross through the temptations, Luke 4. In fact, every single gospel mentions the temptations. Jesus suffered emotionally. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, Right? In Matthew 27, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, God suffered emotionally. Jesus suffered mentally. It's that mental anguish at the betrayal of his friends that we see through Peter denying him in Matthew 26, dying alone on a cross. Jesus suffered relationally. He was alone on that cross, Matthew 27. What does living this life of God mean for us in terms of relationships? Will we lose some? We might. You know what? And we don't talk about this one. As I was writing this, I thought, man, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say this before. You know, Jesus was at a loss financially too because the religious system was the political system, was the economic system. You understand that? That's why he turns over the tables, right? Because it was an abusive economic system. Jesus could have ingratiated himself to that system and he could have made a lot of money from it. In fact, in John 3, Nicodemus shows up and goes, hey, are you one of us? And Jesus is like, yeah, and has a crazy conversation, <laughs> right? Jesus actually stepped away from any financial gains that he might've gotten by being the leader that he was and the person that he was. And it would be easy to go, well, Jesus didn't care about that. He was, Jesus was 100% human. It crosses your mind. It crosses your mind when you don't have enough to eat. But Jesus, what does he say in Luke 10 when he sends out the 72? He says, don't take any money. Don't take a bag. Don't even take an extra pair of sandals. That's like, listen, get in your car, go. Don't take an extra pair of gas. Don't take any credit cards and don't take a spare tire. Just go. Have that much faith. That's a big life. But if Jesus suffered in such ways, won't we? Anytime that we focus on Jesus, anytime we have a laser-like focus on who Jesus is, something we'll have to give in our lives. But you know, those things that we think we need so much, they actually change into something else when we're focused on Jesus, right? We begin to live by faith, not by our own means. 
we begin to understand that sometimes you have to lose to gain because this is the paradox of Christianity. You want life, you've got to die. You, you want to gain, you've got to give it all away. You see, we live in the spectacular and the scary. It's the paradox of Christianity. But you will not get that life that God has for you. You will not live that adventurous, that amazing life. You will not slide into home plate at the end of your life, exhausted, tired, beat up. You will not do that if you're just letting yourself be a slave to fear. God is calling us to so much more. God is calling us to an overwhelming inheritance that is the glory of God in our lives. That is what we've been given, man. That is what, that is, what is there for the taking. We're no longer a slave to fear. We're child of God. Child of God. Not a friend of God. A child co-heirs with Christ to the great gift that is the glory of God in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for having Paul write this. Thank you for um, the way it can change our lives. Lord, let it change our lives. Lord, there's some of us who are bound to fear right now, right here, right now. Lord, Lord, wrench their hands away from that fear. Whatever they're holding on to that's causing fear in their life, Lord, take it away. Dissipate it. Make it disappear in their lives, Lord. And may the overwhelming accretion of your love for them build them up to another place. Lord, wrench their hearts, turn them over, wring them out so that fear can't live there anymore. There's no space because it's so full of your love. And Lord, as we, as we worship you one more time through the ministry of song. I ask that you would just inhabit our praises, that you would be felt in this place through your Holy Spirit in a way that no one can deny that God is here and he's calling us to more. Pray these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.